Hey y'all, it's Eric, and this is For Colored Nerds, the weekly show where we peel back the layers of black culture that we rarely discuss in mixed company. This week, Brittany and I chatted with Gabrielle Horton and Martina Abrams-Ilunga, the hosts of Natal, a podcast about having a baby while black. Natal dropped its second season on February 10th, and it follows the stories of black families in rural Mississippi, Iowa, and Hawaii. It also has interludes from midwives, birth workers, and medical professionals who are all on the front lines of Black birthing health. Brittany and I were so taken by how generous the families were with their stories and how paramount reproductive justice is to ensuring the safety and care of future generations. Trust me, y'all, you want to join us as we get into Natal's mission, what it means to capture these stories from families navigating the pandemic, reproductive education, and seriously, so much more. It is all here. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back with all of that and more right after this quick break. Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. When I found out I was going to be a parent, I immediately felt a lot of anxiety and worry. So I went on to BetterHelp to try to look for a therapist to help me with that. My relationship with my family and with my boyfriend and with myself were suffering. I really needed help. I was ruminating a lot. Really getting those thoughts out to a therapist and getting feedback was just life-changing. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's betterhelp.com. Gabrielle, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. And Martina, so happy to have you here today. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you so much. So Natal is often described as a podcast about having a baby while Black in the United States. And it fulfills such a crucial need in health reporting for Black pregnant people and their families. But I want to know what prompted you both to create this show? Yeah, that's something we get a lot, especially because Martina and I don't have kids and we've never given birth. So this is something that we've spent a lot of time thinking about. But honestly, um, back in 2020, you know, I think we were starting to see more news headlines. Um, I think all of us were. You know, Mm -hmm. we saw Beyonce's 2019 boat cover shoot. We were also hearing from folks like Serena Williams and Olympic gold medalist Allison Felix about these really challenging experiences they were having during childbirth, things that we hear often now about sort of just patient negligence, not listening to or caring for what folks have to say, the pain they're in. Um, And sometimes these situations have ended fatally. And I think we were all taking in more and more of this. And then it hit home for me that summer um, in 2019 and it was a childhood best friend of mine. She had preeclampsia and um, had to be, you know, have an emergency delivery and baby was born two months early. And so just kind of connecting the dots between what I was reading in the news and seeing on social media and then having someone close to me um, have those very same experiences of not being listened to and could have really ended really badly. And it was something I took to Twitter too, I guess like us, most of us millennials do. <laughs> and, um, you know, just kind of like fired off a tweet, put my phone down 
checked it the next morning and saw that it had went viral. Folks were sharing all their experiences um, with nurses, with doctors and hospitals, um, knowing folks and family members. And Martina also responded, saying she also had an interest in finding a way to tell these stories. And that's kind of how we kind of got started. And um, I'll let, I guess, Martina share also her perspective leading up to that moment. Yeah. So for me, I remember there was a New York Times article, I think in 2018, Mm -hmm. about a Black woman. I think she was 36 years old. She had worked for the CDC in Atlanta, Mm -hmm. and she had passed away shortly after giving birth to her child. And that story just like struck me in my gut. And I shared it with my mom and, you know, she started, we started talking about her birthing experiences with me and my siblings and just hearing different stories of folks in my family and realizing how all of these, how close these these issues were to me um, Mm -hmm. in my own family. So when I saw Gabrielle's tweet, at this point, I was like super interested and like ready to start telling stories. So from there, we just started meeting and we decided that we were going to create a new podcast project and this was in, um, I think, Gabrielle, you had said 2020, but this was actually the summer of 2019. Yeah, um, oh my God, it has been a while. Yeah, so it was before yeah. the Ooh. pandemic. And then it just it just went from there. And um, we started, we reached out to the Black Mamas Matter Alliance. We had started doing research on what organizations are doing work in this area. Um, we were trying to get up to speed ourselves and just kind of understanding this new world that we hadn't um, been a part of as parents or even as journalists our, and storytellers ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we connected with Black Mamas Matter Alliance, and that was kind of our first partnership and introduction. And they were really foundational in helping us to think about how we started to tell these stories and really giving us access to their network and, and different folks that um, have ended up appearing on our show and, and being a part of our community. And now NATO is in its second season, or it's just wrapped its second <laughs> season. Mm. Yeah. So much of the like reporting about like black birthing parents uh, or mm-hmm. kind of like that experience focuses on like the possible kind of like dangers of giving birth as a black person in this country. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, NATO does like cover that aspect uh, really well, but it, it also places you very much in the minds of parents, like, you know, during this like really monumentally like vulnerable time. Yeah, uh, And it feels like we get the stories and actual experiences kind of behind those statistics. Like, Mm-hmm. Why did you take such a narrative approach? And I'm curious, like, just talk to us a bit about how you capture those stories. That's a great one. It's something we obviously spend a lot of time thinking about, as Martina mm-hmm. mentioned. Um, we're storytellers by trade. Like, this is what mm-hmm. we do. So we always knew that we wanted to approach this series with a balance. And at first, mm-hmm. we weren't sure what that balance would look like. We weren't sure if it'd be 50-50, 60-40, 70-30. <laughs> but we knew that we were going to definitely have to do the reporting side of it, right, with sort of the the data, the science, the research to really contextualize what's happening across maternal health, reproductive health care and access in the country. Um, but we also knew that there were stories behind these numbers, that people had these beautiful moments. They had these sort of small, what they thought were minor moments that really all kind of played a part in what this experience meant and felt like mm-hmm. to them and their families, right? Folks aren't just these numbers. And so it really mattered a lot to us. You know, the first season, each episode covered one to two parents, and you got to learn about them as people. But we did an even deeper dive this season. As you know, we've got 
fewer parents. We've got um, three families. And so you really get to know them because mm -hmm. people are not making decisions out the blue. People are making mm -hmm. decisions based on the context in which they were raised, they were taught, where they live. And so we think a lot about place. We think a lot about what childhood was like for them and how they started to learn about their body, how mm -hmm. they were sort of taught to sort of advocate for their needs, interacting with medical systems. And I think it's something all of us can actually relate to, even if you haven't given birth. Mm. When Anasia was about 10 years old, she learned a new lesson about how the body works. Instead of her mom sitting her down for the birds and bees conversation, her mom's stash of adult videos became her new teacher. It was the middle of the night and I, I woke up and I was about to go to their room and ask a question about something and the door was cracked. And so I looked because the door was cracked and the TV was on and it sounded really weird. So I was like, what? So I like peek. My dad's snoring like really, really loud. And I look on the TV and she's like watching porn on the TV. And so I'm like, whoa, what is that? Like, and I didn't say it out loud. I just kind of leaned on the wall and was like watching it. So naturally the next day when she was gone, I went to go find the tape. Um, Martina, do you kind of want to share a little bit about the process, but like how we get them and how we, we think about it? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, for us, there are a few things that were really important to get across. It's like, first, yes, there are a lot of dis disparities, very real disparities, very real tragic outcomes when it comes to Black birthing in this country. But on the but that's not every case, right? There is a lot of joyful births. People have some really beautiful experiences. And even when one pregnancy and, and or one birthing experience, it can be like a whole number of events and occurrences that happen. And we wanted to really capture the totality of all of that, the good, the bad, the joyful, all of that, the way that people's families show up for them, the way that people's partners show up for them, the way that they're transformed. We didn't want this to be a show that's about all the bad things that can happen to a black person that is pregnant or having or giving birth. And so another thing that we were really intentional about thinking is we know that black people, we come in all different shapes, sizes, forms. We come from all different kinds of backgrounds. And so we wanted to represent as many different kinds of black people and as many different kinds of black experiences as birthing, pregnant and birthing folks as we could. And so season one we had nine different parents and they, you know, cover all different kinds of backgrounds, all different kinds of circumstances, all different kinds of identities. For season two, we're thinking about, okay, what are some stories that we haven't yet told? And in season one, we actually hadn't spoken to any families that were giving birth in rural areas. And as we were doing research on looking at data, looking at policy, we knew that Folks who live in more remote areas face a whole other set of challenges when it comes to bringing babies into this world and growing their families. Things like hospital closures and access to care and having to drive, you know, upwards of two hours to the nearest hospital to access an OBGYN and not having um, access to great reproductive care or um, thinking about family planning. But we also knew through some of our research and talking to folks on the ground that there are so many solutions that are coming out of rural areas. Like babies are being born. Like no matter where you are, whether you're in a city or in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> the babies are being born. And so people are finding ways to show up for each other, to care for, for birthing people, to care for these families. And we wanted to hone in on that and capture all of that beauty. And so the way that we think about finding folks is we have a few different uh, ways we do it. 
we do an open call for stories Mm -hmm. where we use the different partners and relationships that we've made with birth workers, with advocates, with providers. And we ask them, you know, to share this call for stories, Mm -hmm. um, folks who are interested in being open and and being a part of this process with us. And then we also just rely on relationships and introductions that people make for us. So for season two, um, our anchor family, our anchor set of parents, their names are Shayla and Eric Brown. Mm -hmm. They're based in rural Mississippi, they came through our, our call for stories. They, I think they're our first submission. And then the other two parents that we featured this season, um, Ciara Hunter in Hilo, Hawaii, and Anasia Sturdivant, who at the time was in Ames, Iowa, they came through introductions. We had um, that we had actually met their birth workers and folks who had like worked with them through some of their births um, mm-hmm. previously. And they were like, oh, you should meet my client. You know, they might be a great person for this season. And so we had a calls with them and we fell in love with them too. I- I'm glad you brought up some about the process of finding these families that you work with. Because I mean, the stories that these families share, they can be heavy. Sometimes they're recalling traumatic memories or experiences. And I imagine that in those cases, like, those are not the memories that they're sharing with a lot of other people. Why do you think the people that you spoke to were so generous in sharing these really intimate, sometimes difficult experiences with you? I think at, at the core, it has to start with the intentions. And so I think mm-hmm. that we've been really clear about our intentions in this space and the storytelling mm-hmm. space. Because, you know, keep in mind, there are other shows and series led by Black birth workers and parents and families. Um, but, you know, we we understand that we fill a particular gap, one that kind of blends mm-hmm. the reporting and the storytelling and valuing that storytelling above all, honestly, because we think of that mm-hmm. as a major data point. What the families that we get to work with have to say, that means just mm-hmm. as much to us as sort of like the latest peer-reviewed journal, you know, data mm-hmm. coming out of that. And so mm-hmm. I think that in all of our language and our outreach, whether it's with partners or families, providers or birth workers, we're always really clear. And I think folks, um, that gives folks a sense of trust. You know what I mean? They can really trust us to be honest and direct and I think in all of our actions, especially as we work with potential parent storytellers and throughout the production process, we care a lot. You know, we want to do those follow-up questions and calls to make sure we got that part of your story right. We want to give you space during the interview if you find yourself getting emotional, right? We also have sort of put in place where we're able to connect all of our parent storytellers to licensed mental health professionals who can work with them for free care sessions. So that's something that our partner Black Mamas Matter Alliance really wanted us to think about. How can we support these stories without just solely extracting this, you know, these vulnerable moments, right? Um, These stories from folks without really giving anything back. And so we think a lot about how we can care for the families that we work with and even care for the other voices that you hear on the show. And so I think people just feel that. You know what I mean? I think people can pick up on that. And then just like, let's be honest, like there's not a whole lot of places where talking about Black pregnancy experiences, Black birth are like always mainstream. Like folks are always sort of going to want to hear and even share stories that we don't get a chance to see all the time. Or if we do, it's always told in a really negative, very like, oh, you know, very morbid kind of um, sort of tone. And we can create spaces to celebrate these experiences, to celebrate folks making decisions for themselves and their families. And I think folks are just hungry for more of that kind of content, more of those kind of spaces. One of the couples that had quite a journey moving around and also just (laughs) one of the most interesting stories on the show to me, it really resonated a lot was of the Black couple you mentioned earlier, Shayla and Eric Brown, who moved Mm -hmm. from Arizona 
back to rural Mississippi to birth, for now, the last of their children and to raise <laughs> their older kids just in, a, in an environment that's more comfortable for them. Uh, I feel safer, honestly, raising my Black boys in a rural area than I did when I was in a city because it's harder to move around with that many kids um, by yourself. And then there are just always people making just a lot more non-Black people, first of all, around. And they're always making really odd and strange comments um, that just don't make you feel safe with your children. Um, they walk up to them and touch them. Like, it happened a lot in Arizona. And then kids would just come up missing all the time. So that was extremely scary. Mm. And mm -hmm. their story was so interesting to me. It dealt with the pandemic, reverse migration back to the South, and mm -hmm. also pregnancy loss. Mm -hmm. um, why was it so important to include a story like theirs on the show? Thinking about what we were sort of talking about earlier, how we think a lot about trying to balance that data and the storytelling. Well, mm -hmm. we knew that we were going rural. And so the majority of Black rural folks in this country, they live in the Southeast, right? Really thinking about sort of the Black Belt region. And so we knew that thinking about how do we sort of decide on storytellers, we knew for sure, without a doubt, we had to have somebody who represented sort of like the Black Belt region, right, to represent it, especially in that southeastern corner. And so that was something that was not really negotiable for us. And it just so happened mm -hmm. to be that Shayla Brown reached out to us. And as, as you said, <laughs> a very compelling story and obviously one that we got to know over many months, almost, I guess, close to a year, really, at this point. Wow. And so we knew wow. that there were certain sort of data points that we wanted to be reflected in the stories. Mm -hmm. And there just happened to sort of capture a lot of them. Um, we we always want to make sure that we're focusing on families who have birth experiences outside of hospitals, outside of traditional sort of care systems, or how we think of traditional, right? Because like, if you think mm -hmm. about midwifery care and doula care, those are really the OG traditional sort of ways that folks are being cared for. And so we have all those little things that we want different parents to be able to capture. But with that family, it was really powerful us to also hear from a partner. We've had mm -hmm. other sort of parents on who talked about maybe their husband or their wife or, you know, their long-term partner, but we never mm -hmm. have those voices included in, in season one. So season two, we wanted to really play with this to really hear from that kind of partner perspective, what is it like to care for, right? Because it's not just... This, this sort of pregnancy is not happening to one single person. It never yeah. is, regardless of the outcome, whether it's abortion yeah. or pregnancy loss or a childbirth, right? And so we wanted to hear that partner perspective. And as you know, Eric Brown is very hands-on. He almost is sort of stands in as, you know, providing that midwifery care for his wife mm -hmm. during this fifth pregnancy. Over the coming months, Eric learned firsthand how to provide prenatal care to his wife. We did blood pressure checks. We did um, measurements, uh, readjusting the baby. We did when you had, you know, other symptoms, maybe she had like sinus problems or whatever, like trying to deal with those and get a remedy for that. And just, like I said, trying to be on call as much as possible because there were plenty of times I didn't know what to do or she, she, you know, I mean, I'm not Superman. Like there were plenty of times I didn't completely know what to do, but show up, like show up and say, like, not know what to do with her. That was really important. And, you know, they were just very generous with their time and their stories. And that is always something we look for in the folks that we work with. Everyone might not be ready or comfortable to dive in and be open and honest. But when you are, oh, it makes for some wonderful storytelling that I think really resonates with folks. And for them, it was very cathartic to be able to just 
process all of this. You know, having, I think, so many young kids, you know, kind of back to back, something that they wanted and something that they shared a lot about, you know, that thought process. I think it was helpful for them, and we talk to them still to this day, to be able to just get all that out. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? To just be able to share all those feelings and moments that they may have just been kind of too busy to really stop to reflect. And there were moments you can hear in the tape where they're talking to each other, giving compliments. And it'll be like, Mm -hmm. that's the first time they had really had that moment. So it was important for us to capture that and you know their their partnership the family everything wasn't perfect and i think we just like to be as real with people as possible like a lot of folks can relate to that like losing a job during the pandemic like that's majority of the country you know what i mean like so they have really big Mm. themes that were even beyond pregnancy that we were just like man we got to make sure folks hear their story you know yeah, and I think on top of that, what also I think resonated with us was how purposeful birthing is for mm-hmm. them. The way that they give birth and they do everything with intention from the way that they have babies, the way that they raise their sons, you know, the way they choose where to live. And when we think about so much of the season is about taking control over your destiny, right? Doing things on your own terms. And mm-hmm. they were just such a great example of that. And I, and I think Personally, they're very inspiring, and I felt like they could inspire so many other people. I think we're at this time now where a lot of folks are thinking about how they live their lives, you know, what's important to them, where they work, where they live, how they work, how they live. And I think seeing not only the Browns, all the other parents in this series as well, but especially the the Browns um, were just great examples of how you can take reclaim your agency do things on your own term, make decisions that are best for you and not best for everyone else. Um, so that was something we were really excited to be able to you know, put a spotlight on. After the break, we get into how Natal evolved into an essential resource for expecting parents, the ways we need to expand our ideas of reproductive justice, and I've got a surprise announcement. Hmm, what could that be in an episode about birth? You will have to find out what it is after the break. Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. 
They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's Omri certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow. Welcome back, y'all. All right, so before the break, Gabrielle and Martina talked to us about one of our favorite families in the series, Shayla and Eric Brown, and how they've taken their birthing story into their own hands. Now, we'll get into how NATO has reflected a bit of my own experience and the education it provides for expecting parents. All right, let's jump back into the interview. Gabrielle, I'm so excited that you mentioned like the importance of having the partner's voice in there mm-hmm. like as someone you know uh, <laughs> who's gone through that experience like yeah. it was it was awesome being able to kind of hear uh that reflected to be straight up it's not a thing i i expect yeah. it's a thing i'm pretty used to kind of not being there so it was such a it was such a kind of awesome respite and then also to hear uh you know a partner who was so involved uh you know yeah. who was like doing the work uh, and really, like, hell, he had me. I'm like, how do I anticipate some needs? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and it, to that end, like, something I haven't actually shared on the show is that my partner, uh, my wife, is pregnant right now. We are expecting. Congrats. Yeah, thank you. Uh, we're expecting our daughter uh, in late June. And, mm. you know, I've been rereading the books <laughs> and, uh, yes. you know, kind of doing the things. And one of the, just real quick, one of the books I've always appreciated is, you know, and it's a complicated one, but it's Ina Mae Gaskin's Guide mm-hmm. to Childbirth. And, <laughs> you know, I, I love it because of the stories that I think kind of come before the education. Mm-hmm. Some of the births are rocky. Some are smooth. Right. You know, and the book is old. Mm-hmm. And it's about a commune, <laughs> you know, basically in, the, in Middle Tennessee. So I'm not expecting like a ton of black stories. But, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think even on my second read, I'm still shocked by like how even in the pictures, there's not a ton of women of color. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And even in the stories, a lot of them aren't necessarily coded as women of color or mm-hmm. black women. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you know, this book <laughs> is always heralded. Mm-hmm. And I get it, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I like it. Mm-hmm. But, like, I struggle with it and how many of the, like, most popular tools that are supposed to be available to us leave us out, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, kind of mm-hmm. in this way. Yeah. So, like, NATO, really listening to it, like, felt like, such a nice comfort because it actually prov- again provides stories and the <laughs> mm-hmm. education and I guess like what does it mean to you to be like reflecting our stories back to us in this way like what do you see as like the true kind of power of hearing mm. this yeah. or hearing yeah. these experiences I, one of the things that we say at Natal is you know our parents are the experts of their stories and the experts of their bodies when we think about as Black folks who navigate in our medical system, I think so many people have ex- experiences where they walk into a doctor's office and you're telling them what hurts or what happened and you are talked down to or you're dismissed and what you have to share is ignored. Um, and mm. so for us, it's this repositioning of Black folks as an expert. You know, we our credibility is always undermined even when we're talking about our own body. So I think... That's one of the um, really important mm-hmm. parts of the work that we do. And I think also it's, you know, reminding folks like these these books and these tools and these resources, like where do you think these white people learned 
the things that they mm-hmm. learned. And mm-hmm. so it's also putting Black folks in the front as well as like everything that we know in this country about birthing came from African midwives that came from the continent. And this is this is our knowledge. This is our tradition. This is our history. These are these are our ancestors. And so, even reclaiming that, I think, by putting Black voices at the center and making them the experts that they rightfully are, is just kind of correcting history, in a way. Yeah, and it's reminding us of our power. Mm-hmm. And it, and I say us because we're a part of that, right? And you know, for the from for this season. We talk about sort of reproductive care at large, right? And so we're thinking about all kinds of sort of outcomes with pregnancy. And that means that even more folks can really relate to what we're talking about, mm. right? And so it's reminding us of our power. Uh, we are the originals. Like, we started this. You know what I mean? Like Martina said, like, those granny midwives, not just birthing black babies. They're her birthing, taking care of, and in many cases, nursing white families too, right? And so we see what that legacy's been twisted and then, like, commodified and sold back to us and then not even, like, include our name or face. Like, it's wild. Mm-hmm. Um, and so thinking, too, like, not even solely dwelling on the sort of the white supremacy of it all, but thinking really about how, you know, Black birth workers and providers, like, are existing and and supporting and caring for for families. And families are still, you know, creating families and still doing all these things in spite of. And I think it's just a reminder of, like, how powerful we are and what it looks like to really have agency over your body and your life. And so I think it's our, like, like, immense sort of, like, honor and joy to be able to reflect black stories and tell them because that's all that we do and so it's um we we, we're just really thankful to be able to do it but it's a reminder of how powerful we are and um we get we we hear that people you know when they reach back out to us Mm -hmm. they just feel like okay now i know what to ask or i now i know how to have this Mm -hmm. conversation or i know what to look for and like that that's powerful right Mm -hmm. to be able to sort of know more than what you did before maybe that episode or before you sort of um tapped into one of our ig live conversations and so we do hope that we're able to share the information and knowledge Mm -hmm. and allow folks to do what they want with it but not take it take it away or keep it away because like Martina said, like this is ours and it has always been and will always be. And so just reminding folks of that and reminding ourselves too, even as a team. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up the point of reproductive justice and just reproductive health in general, because I think that this show is just such a great example of how expansive yeah. the idea of reproductive health and reproductive justice, how expansive those ideas really are, but also how Black women have always been vanguards in that space as, you know, birth workers and doulas and, you know, granny midwives, as you mentioned, but also like on a civil rights front, even hell, even the na- the, the the actual term reproductive justice was coined by a Black woman. <laughs> mm-hmm. I really loved the episode that you did this season about Fannie Lou Hamer, a civil rights mm-hmm. figure who is lesser known as a reproductive justice figure, um, but yeah. who has... Had, who who had personal experience with dealing with the downside of of you know living as a black woman in a society that doesn't value mm-hmm. um, reproductive health for us? Mm-hmm. Why was it important to connect Fanny's legacy and her life experience to the stories mm-hmm. of this season? That episode is one of my favorites this season. And everything that we try to do, we're always trying to paint a picture of 
where we are, but also how we got here. So Shayla had received care in Mound Bayou, Mississippi, at a clinic where the former Taborian Hospital had once stood. And Taborian Hospital was actually um, one of the first, you know, all-Black hospitals in this in the South and in the state of Mississippi. And it's also where Fannie Lou Hamer had received care and where she actually took her last breaths. On March 14, 1977, Fannie Lou Hamer took her last breaths at Taborian. She died from breast cancer and high blood pressure complications. And then, in 1983, Taborian Hospital, the heartbeat of Mount Bayou, closed for good. Decades later, when Shayla and Eric Brown headed to Mount Bayou, the illustrious hospital of Fannie Lou Hamer's time wasn't there. By 2013, there was at least a clinic, but nothing comparable to Taborian. And so with Fannie Lou Hamer, the connection to Shayla and Eric and Mound Bayou, Mississippi, and, you know, the first Black-founded town and, the, you know, one of the first Black-run and founded hospitals, was just a reminder that none of this is new. Like, this fight on behalf of Black folks is not new. The issues that we're facing today are not new, and that so much of the activism that we see today is really just built upon this very long history and this very long legacy. And I think for our team, you know, we're also just a bunch of history nerds. <laughs> so for us, it was just really fun to kind of uncover this history because it wasn't something that we intentionally sought out. It was in our very long conversation with Eric and Shayla. And we're asking, you know, where did you get care here? What are the names of some of the facilities that you received care? And Shayla mm-hmm. mentions Mound Bayou and Gabrielle went and, you know, started Googling and, and kind of uncovered this whole connection. But for us, it was also just really fun to to learn more about someone that we knew, at least me personally, I I knew Fannie Lou Hamer, but I didn't know her story as well as I do now. And so I think for folks who are always trying to reach folks at like where they are and at different intersections and bring people into this conversation. And so we felt like this story is one where, you know, just the history nerds, like, here's another way for you to enter this conversation and to learn more about this topic and to become more engaged um, and more informed and, ha- and have a new uh, way of thinking about, about reproductive justice and as it might relate to other fields and other kinds of work. And I think it was also like important to put reproductive justice and the fight for control over our bodies into like a larger context for like civil and human rights as well. Because mm-hmm. I think it's so easy to kind of put birth stories as like, oh, that's a women's thing or mm. that's like a cishet women's thing. Mm-hmm. And I think with all the work that we do from how we choose parent storytellers to the topics that we cover to the expansiveness of the of the very topics it's always sort of thinking about how to make folks realize like they this affects you too mm-hmm. this affects you too like we are all connected right so whether we win or lose like we're all going to be affected somehow even if you still kind of um you know, continue to have access, that access is going to look different, right? And so I think we're always thinking about how do we kind of remind folks like, no, like this is a part of civil and human rights. You know, we're Mm -hmm. talking about, you know, Fannie Lou Hamer and 
her having the Mississippi appendectomy, right? Having her uter- mm. like having a, you know, a, a hysterectomy without her consent. And that's mm-hmm. not like a one-off sort of story. It makes the storytelling fuller. It makes the listening experience fuller. And, mm. you know, something else I think that also really contributes to that and to sort of continue to pull <laughs> to to pull on this thread throughout history <laughs> of, you know, black women and and femmes and non-binary people really leading the charge on reproductive health in this country. Um, on your show, you don't just talk with birthing parents. You also mm-hmm. talk with providers and advocates like, you know, the doctors that you had in the first season or, you know, folks like Jasmine Merritt, Charity Moore, Mariah Brown, Nadia Granby, Tori <laughs> Rodriguez, the founding members of the Alabama Birth Collective, an organization that is a big part of season two. Right. And so in order for us to make the impact that we need to in this area, because we are original Southern girls from Alabama, these are our people and our aunts and cousins and friends, right? All right. Because you cannot do it alone. You cannot make the impact that black and brown people need alone. And so I would just encourage other birth workers and that are working in rural areas to make sure you connect and have a real sisterhood because that's a topic mm-hmm. that's talked about a lot, but the work that is required to have a real sisterhood. These ladies are here now. Like, I, I just do friendship differently, okay? Like, I just, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'll be like, oh, no, no. Talk to us about <laughs> why it's so important to have people like birth workers or providers or, or people that found an organization like the Alabama Birth Collective on the show and what they add to this conversation. We're always trying to tell as, com- you know, as much of a complete picture as we can. And so when we think about the care that Black birthing folks and Black families receive, they're obviously receiving the care, but that care is coming for, from someone. And so while we f- do feature providers and birth workers and advocates, almost exclusively we feature Black providers and birth workers and advocates. And I think that's also an important distinction. But in so many ways, the Black folks who care for these families are also at the forefront of the fight for better care, for better outcomes. And so as we're trying to understand the issues and the challenges, we also want to amplify the solutions and the work that's being done. Because so mm-hmm. much of the journalism around Black maternal care, Black perinatal care, reproductive justice are just these slew of like disparities and stats with yeah. as if there's no one fighting, as if there's no solution, as if there aren't answers. And we're talking to the people that have answers, that are testing new models, that are Mm. producing research and scholarship, that are showing new ways of care that work for families. And we want to amplify that so that people who are going through medical school can turn me like, okay, this is how I can be doing this. This is how I should be working. These are people I can partner with. These are resources I can refer my families to, my patients to, people who are in midwifery school or any type of training to become a birth worker themselves. So for us, it's really important to be able to show like the care that we are looking for, the care that folks deserve exists and it's out there. And here are the people who are delivering it. And these are the people that you should be emulating and following and learning from. Mm, love it. 
(laughs) (laughs) I would just say like two, because like at the end of the day, the question that we've always asked is what does care look like for black birthing families? And that care does not exist in a vacuum or Mm -hmm. does not sort of lie um, in one hospital or in one space with one provider. It's like a complex web of people and loved ones and providers and birth workers. And so that's just like us being able to answer that question, we we have to talk to the people mm-hmm. who are literally doing the work. Mm-hmm. And we love the Alabama Birth Collective and really had a lot of fun creating those interludes and just sharing <laughs> with people just like how beautiful birth work is and what mm-hmm. it looks like to do it, especially with them. You know, they're in this beautiful sisterhood. So it's just another way for folks to enter the conversation because they kind of just sound like your homegirls. They sound like friends, girlfriends, mm-hmm. you know, and so that's another way. <laughs> if maybe the data is too heavy for you to start with that, the interludes are just a really great way to just bring you on in. And really that Southern hospitality is felt from the moment you press play. It's also exposing people to different care options, right? Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. people are very familiar with OBGYNs and nurses and folks yeah. who work within hospitals and those kind of settings. But there, you know, we get the question all the time, what's a doula? What's a midwife? What's the difference? Why would I use one? What's a lactation consultant? So the educational part of the show is also exposing our audience and people who may not be familiar with this kind of work that there's all these different care options and kinds of people that you can work with along on your journey or even become one yourself if you are thinking of, you know, how you want to serve people in this world. Um, so I think that's a, an, an added component there. So we know that Black maternal health and experiences are are undercovered, you know, but even as you all have just outlined, like in in the past, like two seasons, you've explored so much, you know, home birth, <laughs> pregnancy loss, reproductive <laughs> justice, postpartum depression, unplanned pregnancy, near-death experiences, lack of support, care for Black women. I, I could go, oh, I'm tired, Ooh. you know, but you guys do so much. I'm curious, like, what is the road ahead for NATO? Like, what are the stories, what are the types of stories that you still kind of hope to tell? There's so Oof. many more stories, if you can there's believe so it. <laughs> I think there's all there's probably some stories that we may want to go deeper in, you know? Like, I think, mm. like, adoption and foster care is super important to us and something we were able to explore this season through our parent storyteller, Anasia, and also that Louisiana doctor that Martina mentioned earlier, Dr. Tanya Hawkins-Hunter. And so there's, like, topics that we may have brought up but haven't, like, spent full seasons on or more than one episode that we're always Mm -hmm. interested in. I think IVF and sort Mm -hmm. of the kind of fertility treatment experience is something that Mm -hmm. we hear more about and even Mm -hmm. kind of we're able to sort of explore again this season just different options folks have for treatment. Mm -hmm. So I think there's, like, things like that that, like, we definitely know stories that we want to go deeper on. I'm always curious about more partner stories and and not just so much in, like, the romantic partner kind of vibe either. I'm thinking about, like, who was your ace coon boon when you were going through that pregnancy? Because <laughs> I'm like, you know, like, was it your mama? Was it your best friend? Was it that nurse at the hospital who always looked out for you? So I'm really interested in, like, more partner stories. And it's also fun. Like, I think, like, the Shayla and Eric one, it was a fun time recording, you know, with two people who know each other really well, but they're still learning about each other, like, literally as you're talking to them. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a cool <laughs> thing to bear witness to. And I think something that can be um, helped to kind of just, I don't know, invite more folks into the conversation that who may not necessarily think that a show like Natal or a topic like childbirth or having a baby relates to them. And you can realize that, like, all of us are navigating, you know, through these decisions mm-hmm. and through other folks' experiences and what it looks like on the policy level, too. It, all of it affects us. And so 
trying to find fun ways to do that. How about you, yeah. Martina? What are things that you're excited about? Yeah, everything you said, I, I would definitely plus one. I think I'm also interested in more intergenerational storytelling on this topic, conversations between elders in our families and their birth experiences mm-hmm. and what we're seeing today. I'm always interested in asking, you know, older folks, what do you envision for the future? Because I don't think they get asked that enough. Um, And Mm -hmm. so thinking about how can we bring elders into the conversation, I would would love to hear from a granny midwife on the show (laughs) or or Mm, two. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I'm just thinking about, yeah, how can we bring in the folks who have been here much longer that their reproductive years might be behind them, but there's just so much story and experience and knowledge there that is often has been hush hush that maybe we are able to get from them and, and learn from. Awesome. Thank you all so much. Seriously, like you, you've done some awesome work. Incredible and work. Just even hearing about it, it feels so important and so needed. Um, so thank you for being so generous. Thank and thank you, you for Thanks, sharing guys. with us. This yes, thank, thank you so much. For Colored Nerds was created by me, Eric Eddings, and Brittany Luce. It's supported by our production team at Stitcher, including producer Alexis Williams and social producer Elise Ellis. Marcus Hom is our engineer, and Peter Clowney is head of content. Our theme music is by Willie Green. And look, y'all, we love hearing from our listeners. We love you all so much. Seriously, it feels so good to be back with you. So please connect with us and tell us what you thought of this episode. You can reach us on Twitter and Instagram, at For Colored Nerds, and never miss an episode by following us on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.